Hi everyone, I want to welcome you. Uh, we've tried to have a running dialogue with Dr. Joe Salinas, a uh, local physician in our community and uh, part of our church, and frankly, he's my doctor as well. And uh, wanted to keep up on the science. It's been a little while since we've had a conversation with Joe and just wanted to get up to date regarding the latest in science and uh, particularly looking at our community and what is um, our experience with COVID-19 at this point and what is it that we uh, really need to know. And so, Joe, um, I guess I'm interested, first of all, what are your, what are your um, questions that you're receiving from your patients and uh, what are the things that we need to know as a community um, that we may not be up on? You, you know, Brian, I'm, get, I'm getting a lot of questions that are not specifically medical questions or science-related questions per se, uh, what I'm getting is a lot of questions about uh, the shutdown. Uh, when is it going to end? And uh, uh, is it, should we be doing it? And how should they, how should they go about it? Uh, which certainly scientists need to be in on the planning, but uh, these are also societal and political decisions as well. So uh, there, there, I can tell you, what, what I tell my patients is there are no easy answers to societal questions. There are no easy answers to these uh, uh, multifaceted issues where either way, there's going to be a downside. Uh, there, so you have to make these difficult choices. Uh, in healthcare, I think I've said this before when we've spoken, we, we do this all the time. We decide we're, we're going to screen these people, but we're not going to screen these people because we only have so many resources and we can only screen so many people, which means you're going to miss some disease. Uh, or we're going to uh, treat up to this point, and after that point, it, it really is not... Uh, uh, beneficial to most people to treat. Uh, some people it might be. So uh, these are, uh, uh, it's certainly on people's mind, I understand it, uh, but they're, they're things that uh, their, their congressmen uh, need, uh, they need to be talking to them about, uh, they need to be talking to their community leaders about. <clears throat> And uh, these decisions have to be made together. So uh, there's also, uh, as with any uh, high-stress situation, uh, there are always going to be, a, there's going to be a lot of speculation. And so uh, things are getting thrown out into the media. Uh, and because this has become the central uh, topic for everybody's uh, uh, internet searches and, and discussions around the dinner table. These ideas that come up are treated as though they are proven scientific fact. And I do remind people of the, what, the, what the, the process of science is, theory, experimentation, re-theorizing based mm -hmm. on what results of your experiments show. And Things that sound like really good ideas on pen and paper, uh, in reality, often turn out to be 
incorrect. And the, by doing the experiment, you realize, okay, that, that didn't work. And then you start thinking a little more deeply. Well, why didn't it work? And it gives you the information to go back and try again. Uh, and so it's a process. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you hear about things that sound originally or initially promising and then you don't hear about them again, it's not always because there's a conspiracy to suppress the information. It's because it didn't work. And, you know, nobody wants things not to work. Yeah. You know, nobody's trying to suppress a cure for this disease. Trust me, pharmaceutical companies would love to be the ones to come up with the cure for this disease because mm -hmm. is, that is the golden goose uh, for them if they do. So, you know, recognizing that patience is hard when people are getting sick and people are dying and you can't go to work and your kids can't go to school. Uh, that's, that's hard. Uh, at the same time, rushing things uh, in science, in, in medicine especially, is often really, really bad uh, and leads to things like thalidomide uh, that, that cause limb defects in, in children or, uh, you know, laetrile, uh, where people, you know, not getting proven cancer treatments because they're going down to Mexico and getting laetrile. This was back mm -hmm. in the 70s, and I'm old enough to remember that when I was a kid and people doing that. Yeah. So uh, I know that the scientists are working as, as, as hard as they can. The, the healthcare professionals, uh, and I'm talking about my, my peers, I'm mm -hmm. not just talking mm -hmm. about me, uh, are working very, very hard to try to get people the information they need and get them the care that they need while not subjecting them to becoming experiments. I don't experiment on my patients. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's good medicine. Well, I know it's not good medicine. So we don't do that. So that's, that's kind of, those are the major things that I'm being asked about. I'm still being asked about, and I'm sure we're going to get to them. You know, there are you know, some, some buzzwords and going around and, you know, people, when you talk about disease, you talk about, you know, how do I, how do you get it? <clears throat> what do you do when you get it? What are the risks when you get it? What do I have to know after I get it? Right. Uh, so we're still, you know, in that regard, it's a fluid thing because we're getting better. We are getting better at treating it. So you're more likely to survive if you get it now. Mm -hmm because the hospitals have seen a lot of it uh, and they have gotten uh, a little better at figuring out some tweaks about COVID-related, say, adult respiratory distress syndrome. So uh, in, when we treat, pa treat patients with adult respiratory distress syndrome, one of the things that we tried years and years ago, decades ago, was steroids. Mm. Because in ARDS, you have an immune system out of control. You've got an inflammatory response out of control. Um, and so there were several studies looking at using steroids for ARDS that did not show a benefit. And in fact, a couple of them showed an increase in mortality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we stopped doing that. With, AR, with the ARDS associated with COVID, there were some studies that showed a benefit. So that has now become, with very strict criteria, 
based on what was done in those studies, that has become now a, a, a typical therapy for people uh, if they meet certain criteria, if they're, they're very sick with uh, COVID-19. So that's in, improved some of the mortality data and, and the supportive measures have gotten better. We've gotten better at identifying you know, who's at risk and getting them into mm -hmm. the care they need earlier. Uh, so we are getting better, but we've got a long way to go. So let's run through, uh, you know, how do I get it? Um, what do I do? I think it's particularly on the how do I get it? Um, I've heard recently some information that's a little bit different than we heard before regarding how long it might stay on a surface. Is it um, uh, how far it can transmit um, from like the droplets? Yeah, uh, droplets in it versus aerosol. Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're pretty social distanced here. Uh, we came in with masks, we're you know, in my mm -hmm. office. Mm -hmm. uh, but can you tell us uh, about you know, what is our understanding at this point in time uh, regarding you know, its lifespan outside just in the environment and you know, how I might contract it and how I might protect myself and those around me? Um, yeah, so this is again, uh, there, there's a, a professor I, I work with uh, at the medical school where I teach, and the students, uh, one year they actually printed out a T-shirt that said, it depends, because <laughs> that's his answer to everything. Every time you ask him a question, well, it depends. You know? uh, so when you talk about virology, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you can study how long... A, a, a viral particle can remain viable. Okay. And for COVID, I've seen numbers as high as days uh, on surfaces. But does that mean it still retains its ability to infect? Mm. Uh, so it hasn't broken down. The capsule is still intact, but can it still cause an infection? Uh, and um, how easy is it is it to to to, to pick that up? Uh -huh. Right. So uh, it's interesting that that's two different things. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and that's just that's I just two. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. So there there's lots of others uh, as to you know what leads to somebody depositing the virus and somebody then contracting the virus and and so studying. When is it viable? And then, if it's if it's viable, is uh, uh, does it retain the ability to attach to a cell uh, and and to inject its genetic material into the cell? That requires more work to figure those things out. And that's again, it's ongoing, mm -hmm. and the science is is fluid right now. Uh, typically, in infectious disease, what we say is assume the worst. Mm -hmm. Uh, and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. And so wash your hands, socially distance, not because it's 100% and not because we, you know, God tapped me on the side of the head and said, this is what you do, but because we're trying to minimize our contact. Look, when, when HIV first came out, uh, uh, was first identified back in the 80s, prior to HIV, we didn't wear gloves when we drew blood. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, and wow. I remember my, my college roommate just 
devastated when he came home from seeing the doctor because he was convinced he had AIDS because the nurse put gloves on when she drew his blood. Wow. And because he was not, he wasn't familiar with universal precautions sure, when we yeah. first started doing universal precautions. So um, a lot of the stuff we did regarding HIV didn't really decrease our risk of infection of HIV once we learned how HIV is passed. But you start off being extremely guarded and being extremely careful. And then as you, you get to understand things more and more, then you realize, okay, we don't necessarily have to do this, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to heat everything up to this temperature. We don't have to throw away, you know, the scope after we scope somebody. There, there is a way to clean it to make sure that, that it's, it's free of disease. Wow. So right now, you know, we're still as long and drawn out as this, as this feels to people. And believe me, I, I, I understand and I, I'm experiencing it myself. Mm -hmm. It's still early days, mm -hmm. you know, in, in our uh, gaining knowledge about this. You got a, millions of people working on this. You know? uh, and so the information's coming in, but we don't have hard and fast answers. And that's why right now it's still, let's be as careful as we reasonably can be the, the the difficulty comes in whose definition of reasonable sure sure wow so coming back um regarding how do i contract it you know what precautions do do we need to be taking has there been any uh any real change in uh the conversation from last time, you know, where we were talking a lot about social distancing, we're talking about a lot about masks, um, utilizing hand sanitizer, you know, those types of things. Um, and well, I think a lot of businesses are rotating their staff so we don't have as many people in a building at one time. Um, and we've been doing the same thing, you know, most of us come in two, three times a week, but uh, some of us are here more than that. Uh, we have kept the building closed just because of custodial trying to, you know, maintain, uh, you know, particularly sanitizing every, whenever anybody comes in and um, not over, overrunning our staff on that. But has anything changed that we should know about? You know, from the last time we've, we spoke, I don't know that that much has changed. I would like to, to point something out, and I, I, I don't want to get into a political discussion. I know you don't either. Yeah. And I, and I do not discuss politics with my patients in the exam room. Uh, they may come up, but I, I just don't take part, you know. Uh, but, you know, what you should know about medicine and science is that a good scientist, a good physician... Uh, by the way, there shouldn't be a distinction between a good scientist and a good physician. <laughs> Amen. Uh, <laughs> is willing to change their mind. Mm -hmm. We do not adhere to dogma. So early on, you were told by the World Health Organization and by the CDC, masks don't make a difference. In, in a community where, where even in a community where the incidence is high, uh, and this was based on data that was coming out of China, and we can say what we want about the data out of China, it, but it's it's what they had to work with. Sure. And working off of that, they said it does not appear as though wearing a, a mask in the, in the general population affects the uh, infection rates. Um, once we saw European data 
uh, and and we we tracked back on the infection in in the United States and saw that the way the infection spread in the United States, uh, there was convincing uh, evidence that yes, indeed, actually masks do help. Mm-hmm. And you saw the scientists come out and basically do a mea culpa and and say, you know what, we were wrong about that. You should wear masks. Now there were other reasons for the. Uh, you know the the World Health Organization uh, decision. You know there were at, at the at that time there was a shortage of masks, mm-hmm. and they wanted to make sure you know the healthcare professionals. If you want your if you get your gallbladder out because it exploded, you you want your surgeon to have a mask, right? So uh, there were other uh, uh, things that were influencing that recommendation. Uh, also, you know one of the things I t- I instruct my my patients about is. When the CDC makes a recommendation, because I've heard that some people are telling me they don't trust the CDC. You don't have to trust the CDC. The CDC tells you how they came about their recommendation. They publish it with the recommendation. They publish the articles. They reference the articles. And you can go and read the articles. And they grade their recommendations. They tell you this this has got strong evidence based on placebo-controlled, double-blinded studies, or they say, you know, this has got weak evidence because it's only based on observational data. So uh, this attitude that the CDC is somehow uh, some uh, 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 Mm -hmm. Kafkaesque entity that sends down these edicts from on high and and won't be questioned, I I don't understand that because the CDC is, you know, I, I saw... A clip on the internet uh, in which an individual stated, when you get sick, you don't call Dr. Fossey, you call your own doctor. And I thought to myself, and guess who your own doctor calls? Mm -hmm. They go to the CDC. If they're a decent doctor, Mm -hmm. they look at what the Mm -hmm. CDC says because they've they've compiled all the data for you. And then you read the data. Uh, And the World Health Organization and the FDA... uh, None of these, uh, uh, you, you, you make up your own mind when you're a physician. You, you can read these things and you make up your own mind, and I do. Mm-hmm. But these are institutions that were developed in order to support evidence-based medicine. Because we learned in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s that anecdotal medicine is bad medicine. It kills people. So just because you think it's a good idea and in your study on 12 people, you know, your patients or 300 of your patients, you think, you know, without actually doing any statistical uh, analysis of it, that it works. Turns out that's typically not good. And we, we hurt a lot of people, uh, you know, in early in, in the 19th century. And it wasn't until the 80s that we decided, no, actually, we should we should be more scientific about this and stop experimenting on our patients. Yeah. So um, the the masks, they work. They're not a cure, mm-hmm. uh, but they help. Hand washing uh, definitely helps. Um, if you can't wash, then you know the antiseptic uh, mm-hmm. gels are are good. I, we would always rather people wash their hands for twenty seconds. And, uh, that's better. But if you can't use the hand sanitizer, carry it with you. I've got a bottle in my bag. Got a bottle in my car. Yeah, uh, and whenever you leave someplace, you know, get that hand sanitizer on as soon as you can. Social distancing, uh, you know, works. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 
are are looking at other stuff. You know, there are there's a lot of things being looked at, uh, and it's I it takes time, and so unfortunately, it takes people getting sick and not getting sick, and looking at how many did and didn't to see what works and what doesn't, and things that look initially promising. You know, I'm used to it. I've been doing this for for 25 years now, and I'm used to things that sounded great, and the initial data looked really good, and we were very excited about it, and then it just fell flat on its face. So, uh, you know, I could I could list them off. I could take the hour just listing off things that sounded really good that I was very excited about as a young physician, only to find, you know, when the uh, data was was all in. Well, you know, we tried. I mean, just look at Alzheimer's. How long have we been working on Alzheimer's? Yeah, and we are just still completely in lost in the woods with mm -hmm. Alzheimer's trying to find some even trying to understand what's going on let alone trying to find a, a, an effective treatment one thing I am really interested in after that um, from my world one of the most frustrating things i can find anything on the internet that will reiterate what i already you know affirm and um there's everybody's on the internet or experts and you know there's so much on there regarding covid and you know i look at stats and things that people put on facebook all the time and i think where on earth do they get that because it's counter to this counter to this where should we be getting our information you know i think um, it seems like everything has a slant and an agenda uh, both sides you know and like you say I, mm. I really try to stay out of politics uh on things uh, you know but where should we be going for our information um what can we trust yeah so if you're if you're looking for validation, if you're yeah. looking for solace, you go to an echo chamber. <laughs> uh, if you're looking for science, you go to a scientist. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have people who send me articles that were published on the Internet uh, and no peer review. Yeah. Uh, the statistics are awful, if, uh, and um, they're not even—they're they're not written in a, in a uh, you know a kind of a classic scientific terminology. The way you present, you know, these are the patients, these are the methods, this is where the results, these are the conclusions. It's more of an opinion piece, mm -hmm. right? It's more of an essay, uh, and what I send back to people and I, you know I respect my patients I've got a lot of smart patients and they will oftentimes uh, uh, make me aware of relevant scientific information that I was unaware of mm -hmm. I can, I'm only one guy I can only read so much Absolutely. so I'm I'm willing to get the information from my patients a lot of the stuff I've gotten on COVID has has, has been short on science mm -hmm. and so I send them to the National Institute of Health I say look when you get if you see a study, you can go to the NIH, you can go to the National Institute of Health, and if you do a study in the United States, it's got to be, there's places where it's got to be registered. Mm -hmm. And they give you the nuts and the bolts of the study. They tell you how many people were in this study. Was there a control group? Uh, was there a placebo uh, arm? What were they looking at, you know, and how long did they look at them? And uh, what were the characteristics of these people? So you're not getting a spin. You're just getting the actual data on the study. And I understand not everybody has been 
uh, educated on how to read a scientific study, and it's like any it's like any other uh, skill or any other technical paper. There's you know, there are there's there's a lot to it. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot. Of, there's a big difference between a a longitudinal placebo blinded uh, randomized uh, study. Uh, than a meta-analysis, which is a, uh, just a, a clumping together of a bunch of different studies, you just put them all together. Uh, and meta-analysis can't assign causality. It can only identify a signal as a possible uh, thing that's worth studying. But mm-hmm. I, hear, I hear meta-analyses quoted in the news all the time as though this proved something, you know. Uh, and the word may just kind of gets lost, you know. And such and such may do this, you know, uh, and people don't hear that, you know. Yeah. So... And the National Institute of Health, you know, the CDC, again, you can, you know, they, they, they tell you how they came at, at, at their recommendations. Uh, the World Health Organization, uh, I read their, their uh, uh, recommendations, and, and again, they, they tell you how they came about it. So, the, uh, I, and, and then I look in my journal, you know, in the journals, there's, there's a lot being published right now of studies. Uh, that are being done. Talk to your physician. Mm-hmm. You know, ask mm-hmm. your physician, and hopefully, your physician is somebody who stays up to date on these things and and uh, feels as though it's their responsibility. That's part of what we do. I mean, the physician. You know, the, the word physician means teacher, so you're supposed to be staying up to date on this mm-hmm. stuff so you can teach people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, trying to think if there's other sources you know your friends and your family are are, are wonderful for support but you know uh, opinion is not the way to to, to mm-hmm. practice medicine okay. you know? yeah uh, so uh going to these uh political sites and going going to uh you know these these fabricated uh you know uh, medical sites that that existed long before COVID was around, you know, uh, baddrug.com and, you know, all these, you know, uh, people who just used to just put a soapbox in the town square and get up and rant, and yeah. now they can get on the internet and rant. Oh, yeah. uh, and they call themselves the Institute of I Know Everything, and, you know, people think, well, they've got a nice banner. These, these you know, <laughs> they, they must be, you know, these people must be scientists, and it's, you know, it's not it's just somebody with an axe to grind so uh somebody should always be willing to show you their work yeah you know and if they're not then i'd say you know fine don't trust them but you know when when i got look when i when i when the fda or when, when the u.s preventive services task force uh said stop doing screening rectal exams on men for prostate cancer that had been beaten into me uh, as as a resident, mm-hmm. uh, as a medical student and a resident, and and that was you know you you, you were a bad doctor if you didn't mm-hmm. do a screening rectal exam on a man over age fifty, uh, mm-hmm. and I it took me a year and a half to read through all of the supporting literature that they had to support that decision before I could finally wrap my brain around it and yeah. let it go, and yeah. m- much to the delight of my, my male patients. I was one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're, you know, uh, hopefully you've got a physician who is a sober person who takes the time to read the literature because, you know, I recognize this is what, this is part of what they're paying, you're paying me for. Yeah. You know, you, you, you don't, 
you know, have that expertise. I don't try to take my car apart. I mm-hmm. go to the guy who knows how to take it or the, the girl who knows how to take a car apart. Uh, in my case, you know, she's a really good mechanic. Um, because that's not my area of expertise, right? So, uh, you, you know, uh, but I'm frequently asked by my patients, well, where, how, how do you know that? Where, where mm-hmm. you know, like, well, why do you say that? And, and I, don't, I don't take exception to that. I think, fine, yeah, I'm willing to, to tell you where I get my information. So is the CDC, so is the World Health Organization, so is the FDA, so is the National Institute of Health. But take the time to go to the source. Don't take somebody else's word for it. Yeah. Unless it's, I'd, I'd say, trust your physician. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully they've got your best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. Most, mm-hmm. most of us do, I think. Oh, yeah. So I think I have... Uh, the virus, what do I do? Well, I'm leaving. <laughs> if you think you have the virus. <laughs> um, so uh, let your physician, or call your physician, let okay. them know, hey, I, 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 either I was exposed or I think I was exposed. And okay. in fact, you can, uh, again, um, if you go to Washington State, um, there's resources on, on uh, coronavirus.wa.gov, I think. Okay. Um, and, it, you know, if you think you've been exposed, if you think you have the virus, step by step, what you should do. Okay. Right. Uh, and they're very good, and it's and it's being written by the health professionals, you know, that are employed by the state of Washington, uh, who are nonpartisan people who are there to serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. So there are things. There are things that your your doctor will ask you. That helps them to decide, can we manage this at home? Because a lot of people can, as we've said in the past. In a lot of people, it's a mild disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if it's of moderate severity, if you're otherwise healthy Mm -hmm. uh, and your oxygen levels are are fine and you're not short of breath uh, and you don't have a very high fever, we can typically manage it at home. The emergency room doctors are utterly overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. uh, And so people who have mild disease... Really, we're, we're trying not to load up the emergency room uh, with those people because uh, then uh, then it wind, you wind up with these three and four and five and eight hour waits in the emergency mm. department. You know, so we're trying to keep that yeah. to a minimum. Um, if you're short of breath, you need to get into the emergency department. Uh, if you have a, an oxygen monitor mm-hmm. and, and you typically have normal oxygen and you go below ninety five percent, you should you should go to the emergency department. Uh, if it, what I tell my patients is, if your O2 sats, if your your baseline O2 sat drops uh, more than two percent, I want to know, and if it's more than three percent, just go to the emergency room. Wow. Okay. Uh, so um, there are some red flags, you know, that we have, uh, you know, for kids if they develop a rash uh, or they develop swollen joints uh, or they stop making urine. There's there's things you look out for for that. Uh, mm. Kawasaki-like disease. It's called mm-hmm. uh, multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Uh, I'm not a pediatrician, so I'm not a specialist in, in pediatrics, but this is part of my reading about, about COVID. So yeah, these are the things we're looking out for, the, the, these red flags that say this. we need to take this uh, seriously. You know, if you're over 65 years old and you have several pre-existing illnesses, it's best to be seen by a healthcare professional. I have um, a, cu- a couple uh, who are of advanced age. They're in their 80s. You know them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were both infected. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness they both came through it just fine. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I just 
saw uh, one of them uh, yesterday and still feeling it, you know, at 86 years old or 84 years and old. And give us a time frame on that. Oh, well, I think uh, she was infected, uh, gosh, I think it was months, it was a couple months ago. It was a couple months ago. Yeah, so two, three months ago. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she is still, she's just having a hard time getting over this. Yeah. You know, by the way, there was a study done years and years ago on people with pneumonia, bacterial pneumonia, uh, and they called these people. There was a telephone uh, interview. They called them three months later, and they said, how are you feeling? And only about a third of them said, I feel like I'm back to myself. Wow. Uh, at six months, it was up to about 75%, and, and it took a year before pretty much everybody said, yeah, I feel like I'm back to normal. So, And, and that's a that's just pneumonia. that age just, range, or is that of every... That was back... Well, that was... Uh, Boy, that was a long time ago. This, this, this was yeah, you're this good. But I mean, done, are we talking eighties or are we? No, I, this was this was not. It was not just an elderly. So pneumonia is a it's a it's a bad disease. Oh, I mean, yeah. it really takes yeah. the starch out of you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, adult respiratory distress syndrome. If God forbid you go into ARDS, and that that is a very very serious illness. And if you survive that, it takes a long time to get better from oh. that. So this is a this is a disease that if it even if it doesn't. Uh, uh, cause uh, death mm-hmm. is in somebody who's in their 80s it's going to significantly impact their quality of life for a long time to come months and months at least wow. well, I, I've known several people who've had it and they've been they felt like they're they're over it but they'll still like sense of t- taste and smell mm. those mm. just kind of go away i mean what what is the yeah that's not an uh, actual it's not an uncommon thing for upper respiratory infections a lot uh, of people you know did you hear covid can do this I mean, it's just, yeah yeah i mean upper respiratory infections can certainly do that and you know they get in through your you know typically they get in through the olfactory mm-hmm. uh system and and so the olfactory nerves right there goes right in in to the brain, yeah. you know, uh, so uh, uh, it's it, you can affect that nerve, and you can wind up with a, a loss of of taste of sense or smell or, or, of uh, smell or taste rather. Seventy percent of taste is smell, anyhow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll come back for most people. I have had people get ill from other diseases and never get their sense of taste back and you can see it with other things wow. uh, it's an early manifestation of uh, Parkinson's disease so okay. you know if somebody's not sick and they just say hey by the way I lost my sense of smell one of the things you, you, you start to ask questions about Parkinson's disease in their family and whatnot unfortunately it's not like there's much we can do to stop that from happening yeah. but it's a, it's a little you know it could be a mm-hmm. warning sign that in a couple of years this person may show signs of parkinsonism so there are you know we we're, we're aware of this as a as a manifestation of certain disease processes mm-hmm. um we haven't got years of experience with corona sure. right now with, with this novel coronavirus so mm-hmm. we don't know uh most uh, upper respiratory infections, unless they leave behind scarring, pneumonia can cause scarring in the lungs. We call bronchiectasis, and that, you know, leaves behind you. You wind up with problems the rest of your life. And you, you yeah. know, we, a lot of people have known somebody who, when they were young, had a severe pneumonia, and their lungs are just never the same after that, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you can get 
damage to the respiratory system that can be long-lasting. I think a young, you know, the, the older you are, the more pre-existing diseases you have, pre-existing illnesses you have, the more likely you are to have sequelae, not only to have an increased risk of mortality, but to have long-term sequelae from the infection mm -hmm. as well, like anything else. Yeah. Wow. So testing. Um, think I have it, I call my physician, and then physician suggests that I get tested. Mm. Uh, what is my expectation regarding testing, and what is my expectation in our community regarding the, the results? So we're still uh, not where we want to be with testing okay. in the Tri-Cities. Uh, we have two uh, drive-through drive testing facilities. We've got one at the track, the HAPO Center mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. track. We've got uh, one um, at uh, the Toyota Center. Uh, as of August 11th, I just checked, again, the website today. Uh, I think both of them are going to be 7 to 12. One of them had been open till 1. Now they're going to be open 7 to 12. Okay. Uh, and uh, what I'm hearing... It's all over the place. So I've had patients tell me I got there, I drove up, I got the test, I got out. I've had other patients tell me I sat in line for hours. They told me go home because, you know, it's going to be too long. Uh, if you need to be tested, you need to be tested, right? So, so those are for people who are not very ill. Uh, we'll have them go to one of the drive-through testing centers. I was doing it. We were doing drive-through testing in my office, and I ran out of testing material, and I have been unable to secure mm -hmm. testing material uh, since March. Um, so um, there, there are a couple of clinical facilities that are also doing testing for sicker people. Uh, Cadillac uh, Urgent Care and uh, Trios has an urgent care that's mm -hmm. been specifically designated for doing that testing. The emergency rooms obviously are given high priority for testing materials mm -hmm. and for protective equipment uh, in order to do the testing safely. So uh, Tri-City Labs is not doing testing, uh, so you can't go to a Tri-City Labs for okay. uh, PCR testing for if we think you have the infection. Uh, so there, there are two basic classes of tests. There's the acute test, the test to see, do you have the infection here and now? So that's a swab that's done, a nasal swab or a throat swab. And what we're looking for is actual virus, okay, that tells us that you have the infection. Hmm. Uh, it's not a culture. So it's, it's a test that actually amplifies the... Uh, DNA of the virus uh, uh, manifold, uh, and even if there's a, a few of the viruses there, you'll find them. Hmm. And so the good thing about that is you, do, you don't have to incubate it. It doesn't take yeah. days and days, theoretically, to get the result because it's just a, it's just a, a chemical process. Unfortunately, what's happened uh, is even though we're getting more testing supplies, we're, A, short on people who can do the testing at the sites, short on uh, um, uh, availability uh, of sites, and we're developing a backlog now. The labs are developing a backlog. And so even though we have this test that's got a, a quick turnaround, it's still taking 
four or five days in my experience to get the results. So we had just had somebody we we dodged a bullet because one of my employee's sons uh, developed a fever oh, uh, oh, and we got it, you know, he, he got tested yeah. immediately and it, it took us four days. And so she was, she, she was home. She wasn't coming in. Um, thankfully it occurred right just before uh, the weekend. Uh, and so, you know, we, uh, uh, I did all my visits on Friday were a televisit that Friday. And then by the, and then uh, it was actually Thursday. And then by Monday, Tuesday, we got the result, right? So, um, and he came back negative, thankfully. It's what happens when you play soccer for four hours and 110 degrees and you don't drink enough water. Uh, So uh, we're, uh, you know, the other test is a blood test. That's the serology test. And that's to look to see if you have antibody. So if you have an antibody, that means you've come into contact with with this virus, your body has responded to it. Your Mm -hmm. immune system has responded. You've made antibody and we can find that antibody. What that means is you were infected a while back. It takes a while to make the antibody, mm-hmm. right? So um, it, if you're positive for the antibody, we can't tell you, do you have the infection now or did you have it in the past? All we can tell you is at some point in time you had it, right? Uh, which is helpful. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then again, the, the first question I get from people is, well, how long will this antibody protect me? Yeah. And I don't know. I think we, we, yes, we talked do. about this in the last uh, discussion where I said, you know, tetanus... Antibody lasts about ten years, mm-hmm. right? And we got to give you another one. Uh, when we when the first shingles vaccine came out, Zostavax, they said, "Oh, it's for life." Yeah. And then after about five years, they said, "Well, not so much." Uh, and you're going to have to yeah. boost it. And then we came out. They came out with another one called Shingrix, which right now they're saying it's for life. But we'll wait and see. Uh, measles, mumps, rubella used to be you got your last shot when you were a kid, and mm-hmm. uh, it protects you through life. Now, you know, uh, in, in the last few years, we've said, you know, it's probably better if an, as an adult you get a booster for MMR. Hmm. Uh, and there's an interesting little aside about MMR. Again, not proven, not established medicine, but we, we, there was a, a populational study that suggested that adults who have gotten the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine as an adult, may have a lower incidence of contracting COVID-19. Wow. So uh, it's being looked at, it's being mm-hmm. studied, it's a signal. It's not the finger of God etched on a stone tablet. Yeah. And this is not sure. proven science. But these are the things we are, I, I promise, looking. We are looking at everything, trying to figure mm-hmm. out how mm-hmm. can we even get a little bit of hope. And again, I, I come back to HIV. You know, with HIV, we don't have a cure. Uh but we came up with a with a with a treatment, and well, you know, it's not a great treatment. We came up with another treatment, not a great treatment. We came up with a third treatment, not a great treatment. Well, what if we use all three together? And lo and behold, uh, we're we're getting tremendous results uh, with what's called you know high intensity therapy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so that's you know what what we you know in in medicine, it's not always the silver bullet. It's it's not always that you get to you know. Uh, to find this, you know, the magic pill that cures it, you know, sometimes you just got to hack away at it. Yeah. And so we're looking at what anything we can do to decrease people's risk of, of contracting and of surviving an infection. Hmm. How accurate are the tests? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, which test? Well, th- right? that's, that uh, was a so, real issue. There. Yeah, serology, there's, there's eight or nine of them at yeah. least uh, for serology. Uh, and then the PCR testing, uh, you know, and and the the, uh, the 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 NAT testing, the, the nucleic acid amplification test. Uh, there there's several of those as well, uh, and they all have what are called emergency use use yeah. authorizations from the FDA. And the FDA says this is an emergency. We don't have the uh, personnel. Uh, or the uh, the time or the resources to take every one of these tests and run our own tests on it and see if the manufacturer's numbers are are accurate and and true. So we're going to take their word for it right now uh, that the specificity is this and the sensitivity is that. Right. Uh, and by the way, sensitivity. Uh, what that means is, if the person has the disease, how likely is it that the test is gonna find it? So when the test is positive, Mm -hmm. what's the likelihood that that's a true positive, right? That it's gonna gonna catch it when they have it. So how Mm -hmm. sensitive is it at catching the disease? Typically, you want your, your you want your test to be very sensitive. You don't want to make it so sensitive that it winds up capturing a bunch of people who don't have the disease sure. because you set the bar so low for saying, yes, yeah. this person has it, right? Yeah. So it has to be specific as well. So specificity is when the test is negative, how likely is, is it that the person doesn't have the disease, right? And so you want your specificity mm-hmm. sensitivity up in the 90s for both oh, of them. Yeah. Uh, and so... A lot of these tests are, that's the numbers that they're giving, but we won't really know until uh, there's, you know, we, we like to see an objective third party. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you like to believe that pharmaceutical companies and, and uh, other science uh, uh, biotechnology companies are, are acting in good faith, and, and I think the majority of, of them are, but... You know, the, the, the annals are full of uh, mm-hmm. uh, companies that haven't and uh, have either fudged their data or didn't do the science correctly. And that's why we have these entities, these, these uh, uh, governmental entities that you and I pay for with our tax dollars to double check on these things and make mm-hmm. sure that these people are actually telling us the truth. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now, we, you know, we, we're, we're working off of EUAs. I plan on testing all of my patients with serology to see if they've ever come into contact. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I'm trying to wait until we have we actually have an FDA approval uh, of a of a test for serology that so that I know that those numbers are real. Uh, you know, if if we think you're sick or we think you were sick, I'm gonna I'm going ahead and doing the test. But mm-hmm. as just uh, an information source, which is what I'm going to be doing for all my patients, is let's let's find out if you've had it or not yeah. going into the next year. I'm waiting to do that until I know we've got a better established test. Will they go back and eventually will they assess? They will. Yeah, oh, they okay. will. Once, once. But, you know, I mean, everybody's resources are being stretched to the max. Sure, and, no. and certainly the FDA is as well. they're just not leapfrogging the rigs and then, well, we didn't do that. So let's no, they, that. they, they okay. definitely have plans to go back and do that. And uh, and if they see uh, people making false claims, like like there were some home testing, right, was being mm-hmm. offered. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the FDA said, uh, you, you have not, you didn't, you didn't show that, you know, you, you have to be able to show if somebody does a home test that somebody without any medical training can do the test and get a reliable answer every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were making, the, that company was making several claims that were unsubstantiated. And the mm-hmm. FDA yanked that and they said, you're not allowed to do that. So they are 
maintaining oversight and they are looking at the numbers as they're coming in and they're going to be using that in, in their uh, uh, decision on whether to give approval for okay. these tests or not you know I think that'll that'll be in a short period of time I think in a couple couple of few months we should be getting we should be seeing which ones get approval or not okay so I felt like I you know may have had something I called my physician had a test um, and, and a test positive what do I expect regarding medication? And um, or, you know... Uh, well, the major treatment is supportive. Okay. Uh, so we don't have any COVID-specific okay. treatment. Okay. Uh, especially on the outpatient basis. Okay. Right? So and for, what's going to determine if I'm an outpatient or just... Severity? Uh, severity of disease. Okay. So there, there's mild, moderate, severe, mm-hmm. right? And there are, and again, if you go to this site, you can, you know, to the Washington State site, you'll see exactly how that that is arrived at. Uh, and this was by consensus of the experts, mm-hmm. uh, and based on what we're seeing, who gets sicker, who dies, who gets better, uh, and then using that information to inform how we triage care okay <clears throat> so you know uh <clears throat> fever not necessarily uh, severe disease uh hypoxia definitely low oxygen mm-hmm. uh, uh radiographic evidence of pneumonia uh shortness of breath uh, uh you know if you're over 65 and and you feel weak you know you feel uh, just very ill, that's good enough to go in the emergency room and let them do the assessment. Okay. You know, if you check your oxygen and it's 97%, yeah. but you feel very weak, uh, you know, and you're, you're not you're, you're not sure you're able to take adequate nourishment, you should still go get checked out. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, there are some COVID-specific treatments in the hospital that, again, are, are very specific to what your oxygen doing, do you need oxygen? And we, we've tweaked it to, do you need low-flow oxygen or do you need high-flow oxygen? Okay. Uh, yeah, and we've differentiated what you get. So remdesivir, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the antiviral drug, uh, is being used uh, typically uh, for specific patients. Uh, uh, depending on oxygen needs, uh, um, steroids uh, are being used. Uh, we're running out of the steroids that were studied, and so now they're starting to use different steroids. And the question is, is that going to be as effective as the other steroid? Because all, you know, they, don't, they don't all work on the same inflammatory processes, interleukin-6, you know, specifically being one of the ones that we're worried about with, with SARS-related ARDS. So um, we're running into shortages yeah. because uh, uh, we're treating a lot of people, you know. Uh, and uh, but but at home it's typically supportive measures and and self quarantine right mm-hmm. so uh, try to set up a space for yourself where you're not exposing other family members your own bathroom not just your own bedroom but your own bathroom your own utensils in the kitchen uh, you know uh, best if somebody's making meals and just leaving it and then you know uh, you can come out and clean your stuff and you use mm-hmm. that same stuff you know uh, those same utensils things like that for. Uh, two weeks. What about pets in the home? Yeah, pets. We talked about that last mm-hmm. time. You know, can act as vectors. Yeah. You know, you pet the, 
you, you cough, you pet the dog, the dog goes to the other room, somebody else pets the dog. And so, again, I, I don't know if the virus can live on dog hair how long, but, uh, you know, it seems to me that would be something I would avoid doing. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in the hospital, I think something that would be helpful for us regarding the patient, what does the patient expect? Um, you know, someone is severe enough to be in, in hospitalized. Um, family, friends, how do I interact? Uh, who do I see? What is the, because uh, I've heard, and there again, you know, I have not been in a hospital, which is weird because a lot of my job has been in the hospital um, and since this started. But, you know, I, I don't get to see even the face of the person who's taking care. I've heard, you know, there have been instances where they've you know, enlarged photographs, the nurses and the caretakers, and, and put them on their uh, PPE. Uh, t tell us about what the experience is from the patient's perspective. I just had somebody discharged two days ago. Uh, she was pretty sick. Uh, and she hated her hospitalization. And nobody's really thrilled no, being in the no. hospital. But, you know, uh, nobody, you know, almost nobody came to see me, yeah. you know, of the healthcare workers. I mean, right now there are no family, as you said, no family, yeah. no friends in the hospital. Uh, I am not the treating physician in the hospital. They don't want me in the hospital, wow. even though I'm this person's primary care doctor. Uh, so, and it's understandable because every single time that a, a healthcare worker goes to see a patient, they have to fully garb mm. in fresh uh, personal protective equipment. So you, you go to see a patient, a nurse goes to see a patient to help her go to the bathroom. She dons all the PPE. She goes in, she helps her go to the bathroom. She helps her get back to bed. She comes out, she throws that all away. She, then she goes to see the next patient who, who needs help, uh, you know, having something to eat because uh, can't eat themselves or, or needs their IV uh, turned off. Don's new personal protective equipment goes in, changes the IV, comes back out, throws that all away. And so you can see their resources are being strained. They're going through a lot of personal protective equipment. And it is really what a task that would have taken 10 minutes takes a half an hour. And so the, the staff is being stretched to the limit on what they're able to do because all these measures are in place. Uh, the number of people, and, and if, God forbid, the staff, when the staff uh, comes up positive, mm -hmm. they've now lost that person. So. You know, these people, when they go home, they're very limited. Uh, the, the, I'm talking about the healthcare workers oh, in, yeah. their, in exposing themselves to other people. So imagine the stress that these healthcare workers are under, the hospital workers are under. Uh, it's tremendous. Uh, and, and they're not being able to interact with their family and friends as well. Uh, you know, I've got uh, a, a friend who's a nurse at a, at a local hospital, and she, uh, she just quarantines, basically. She's just she self-quarantined for months and months and months. And so her... Her quality of life is 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 really poor, and 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 so for the patients, you know that that the only time they're seeing a healthcare worker, they're coming in, they've got all this this protective equipment on, they're they're overworked, they're stressed out. Um, it's not a great situation. Uh, thank God for. Uh, 
uh, I, I never Face thought I'd, I'd, I'd hear myself say this, yeah. but thank God for social media. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, for, you know, at least for devices, right, that allow yeah. people to yeah. FaceTime with oh, each absolutely. other uh, and Skype. And, and in fact, a lot of my, uh, my visits, we've, we've now uh, done FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know we've been given uh, the opportunity by the by Medicare and by the insurers to to treat these as regular visits, which people love, and and uh, they don't have to worry about am I going to get exposed when I go to the doctor? So when they're coming for chronic condition management, mm-hmm. uh, something that's not related to to COVID, uh, they're they're you know they're they're still getting their care, right? Because you know a statistic that has been uh, talked about again and again and again during a pandemic death due to non-infectious causes goes up yeah because people don't go to the hospital and they mm-hmm. don't go to the doctor because they're mm-hmm. afraid they're going to get infected mm-hmm. uh, and so their diabetes goes unmanaged and their blood pressure goes unmanaged and i'm seeing it i'm seeing it in my office and I, you know i i pride myself on 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 really uh helping my my diabetic patients uh, energizing them and, and and empowering them to take hold of their disease and to take mm-hmm. uh, uh, and to manage it, and I've had some diabetics come in that just took off. And that uh-huh. patient I was talking about that, yeah. that uh, we were trying to. I mean, I had so I had a patient who was very sick. His diabetes was completely out of control. He went from being well controlled with an average blood sugar of 140. To in in two months, two and a half months, his uh, he went his average blood sugar was five hundred and fifty, and he had his his blood had become acidic, and he had ketones in his blood, which is a very bad sign uh, for a diabetic patient. And I sent him to the emergency room. I said, "We got to get this down quickly. You lose a lot of fluid when when you're that high." And he had been running that high for months. He told me, uh, and. Uh, so we had to get a lot of fluid into him. It's it's a complicated thing to manage. We had to start him on insulin so you could send his blood sugar too low. And the hospitalist refused the admission because when they tested him in the hospital, yes, his blood was acidic. Yes, his blood sugar was 600, but he didn't have ketones. So they said, well, he could be managed as an outpatient. And while I would typically have gotten on the phone and dressed that hospitalist mm-hmm. down, uh, instead I coordinated with the emergency room doctor because I understand what's going on over there. I understand how stressed they are. And uh, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take care of him as an outpatient. And I've been managing him as an outpatient. So I'm doing things, you know, that I typically would not be comfortable doing uh, because the hospital just is not available as a resource for all those people. So, you know, having the ability to do these televisits and, um, and uh, it's very important for people in the hospital to stay connected. You know, you, yes, socially isolate, but but uh, don't uh, socially disconnect. Yes. You know, uh, so physically isolate, but you stay connected to your family because these are these are you know people are not a lot of people not responding well to this. I've, some people are thriving. Some people who you know are going out and hiking and running and. You know, uh, taking advantage of, of this time and reorganizing the way that they're working, and they're, mm-hmm. they've actually decided they're going to continue to work from home. But for a lot of people, this is an extremely stressful time. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. don't forget, there are still people that you can connect with, even if you can't physically be with them. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a friend commit suicide in the middle of the night last night. Yeah, 
Oh my yeah. God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, um, I, I think, you know, looking at our community, uh, help us understand hospital bed space. Because uh, there's a different thing, as I understand, uh, some, you know, I've looked at different statistics regarding the nation, regarding hours. There was a point we were looking uh, at pretty high capacity, but it's not just the bed space. It's the hospital staffing is right. almost the, the more important urgency. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this, this issue with the, uh, yeah, the with, this, with this diabetic patient yeah. and the hospitalists uh, refusing the admission, uh, that happened yesterday. Uh, the only metric that we are meeting uh, in the Tri-Cities right now for reopening is hospital bed space. Uh, so the metric is you uh, you have to have less than 80% full okay. uh, being used, and we, we're there. We're, we're, we're okay on that. But you have to have nurses and nurses' aides to take care of the people in those beds. So we've got the beds, but I don't think we have, and, and hospitalists, you know, doctors to care for them, we, I don't think we have the staff. Uh, and I'm not speaking for the hospitals. So I don't sure, work yeah, yeah. for any of yeah. the hospitals in the Tri-Cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am not uh, privy to the uh, uh, staffing data of the hospitals in the city. I'm just working off of what I've experienced as a local area physician and, and compared to what I've experienced in the last 20 years mm-hmm. working here and mm-hmm. working with the hospitals here. Well, and you had been a hospitalist at one point in your career. Yeah, so I was a hospitalist you, you back in L.A. understand how it works. Yeah, oh, I, I, started, I, yeah. I, I started a hospitalist group back in L.A., yeah. back before people even knew what a hospitalist was. Yeah. You know, In fact, when I went to my chief of medicine, we weren't even called hospitalists then. We were, we were called inpatient physicians. And, uh, when, I, when I went to the, to the chief of medicine you know, at Kaiser Permanente and pitched this idea she had never heard of it before and and I, and so this was back in 1995 uh so yeah i'm i'm uh, you know i know how it's done it's a different skill set mm-hmm. uh and you know they do these shifts and you know a lot of times when i talk to to students they think it's a they think it's great cuz you know they oh, you know you do 7 days on and 7 days off yeah you're doing 12 hour shifts and yeah yeah but 12 hours it's a 12 hour shifts you're not done in 12 hours, yeah. right? You've still got to sign out, tuck, you know, tuck in everything that you're, you've got outstanding. So now you're talking about 14 hours, right? And you do seven 14 hours mm-hmm. in a row, it takes three days to recuperate oh, from yeah, that. Absolutely. And so you get seven days yeah. up, but three days is just recuperation. You know, and then you get one or two days to enjoy, and then you're thinking, oh, God, i got to do this again. And so you don't want to go anywhere that one or two days before, right? So, you know, the hospitalists that are, that are dealing with this, they're doing long shifts, you know, uh, and everybody's being stretched to the minimums, to the maximum. So, yeah, we've got the bed space. I don't know that we've got the staffing. Mm-hmm. Uh, ICU, you know, typically in the Tri-Cities, you know, I mean, we, we have ICU care, but we don't have large capacity ICU care. We don't have a ton of ventilators in the Tri-Cities. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have not gotten to a point where we're dangerously stretched, thank God. Uh, and I don't see it happening. I think, you know, we, we have pretty good resources mm-hmm. uh, in this in this town. 
but I can tell you right even now the hospitals even though the beds are there they're not you know I, look I, I tried to admit somebody last week and and we had to hold on to that patient in my office for three or four hours until somebody got discharged from the hospital because they didn't have a bed you know they they had beds, yeah. but you, to, you, you can't say you have a bed for this patient until you have a nurse to staff that bed. Sure. Yeah. So it, yeah. we had to wait for somebody to get their discharge processed before my patient could be admitted. So yeah. we are we we are actually we're we're near capacity. And what would we normally expect in an August versus? right now now august is a fairly slow month and again i don't work for the hospital and i haven't been a hospitalist in years Um, but uh, august is you know in the tri-cities typically as far as hospitalization goes a fairly slow month a lot Mm -hmm. of people are on vacation Uh, we are a spot that people come to uh, to enjoy the rivers and so you know we you'll see an upswing in water related injuries and uh, uh uh, recreation-related injuries, mm-hmm. you know, in the hospitals, mm-hmm. trauma, things like that, this time of year. But you know, typically, you know, the 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 med the medical beds are usually not near capacity, nowhere near capacity mm-hmm. this time of year. So when do they normally this. have a, a spike? September, October, you know, late okay. September, early October. You know, as the cold and flu season starts to come in, which is just around the corner. Yeah, that was where I was going. So now, so projecting out. And nobody has a crystal ball, but you know, early they had talked about a second wave, and you know that we would kind of die down in summer, and then we would expect that it would be a spike in the fall, and then they said, well, you know, we didn't really go down, and so we probably won't even experience that. But I mean, what is your thoughts regarding the fall? And I think you know, interested, obviously, parents, you know, schools, and all of that, you know, when we start thinking about the fall what are your thoughts yeah so it, it, since right now the, the schools don't even know what the schools are going to do yeah uh we've been dealing with the what we're going to do with our preschool yeah. <laughs> a lot so it's it's hard to know yeah. what's going to happen because we don't we don't even know you know this the schools are basically having to come up with at least two curricula mm-hmm. you know uh mm-hmm. you know one in the school, and they're talking about maybe not moving, you know, the students. You know, having these these cohorts of students who s- stay together mm-hmm. all day, mm-hmm. and then moving the teachers. Right? Uh, they're coming up, trying to come up with all, all kinds of ideas uh, for in-person instruction, and they have to have online options for people who don't feel comfortable sending their kids to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, or in case the numbers go up to such a cent- an extent that the the, the government uh, the, the governing bodies say can't do it got to close the schools again so they've got to have that already in place so they're scrambling uh so it's hard to know uh i can tell you this i mean cold and flu season comes around every year Mm -hmm. uh and so that's going to happen again this year so we're going to have that on top of covid we're going to have cold and flu season and the flu shots are just about ready to come out so uh you know we're i I was i checked on them and i I, last time i checked was was last week and i didn't see that they were out yet but i I do see that the orders are showing up on my electronic health record so it's about time you know they're about to come out so you're going to see the typical rise in hospitalizations and deaths due to the you know just the typical cold and flu season uh 
we we saw what happened when states opened early or refused to close. And again, uh, you can argue about the socioeconomic uh, aspects of that decision, uh, but if you're talking about numbers of cases and numbers of deaths, they went up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if, if the schools open, uh, you know, I heard I, uh, that uh, in children, this is oftentimes not a severe disease. A lot of children are asymptomatic. Uh, the mortality in children is, you know, the best guess is about 0.08%, which is a very low mortality. But again, if you expose tens of millions of people, even a low mortality, you're going to get some deaths. Mm -hmm. And how many dead children is too many dead children? So you, you, because you, you say that, because I mean, look, I I remember quoting a number to, to, to women and we used to say, uh, you know, with hormone replacement therapy, it's 11 extra breast, breast cancers per 10,000 women treated which on, on the face of it doesn't sound like a big number. And at least half the time when I say that, the woman will answer me, unless you're one of those 11. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's 0.08%, which is not a very big number and doesn't matter to the person whose child died. Uh, but is that worth shutting down the schools of the entire country? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's, that's a social decision. That's a, that's a political decision. Right. I know this. If you open the schools and the kids go to school, they're going to see more infections. And those kids are going to bring those infections home to their parents and to their grandparents. And the grandparents you're going to see, you're going to continue to see high mortality in. So uh, I'm, I'm not making uh, I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying that. I mean, if you mm-hmm. in, if you increase the, the number of people who are infected grandma and grandpa are more likely to get infected. They're more likely to come into contact with somebody, you know, who's been in contact with one of these kids. Even if the kids didn't get sick, per se, they're infected and they can act as vectors. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think the mortality will remain high uh, or or will will remain, the the death rate in those above 65 will will remain where it's at. Mm -hmm. If the schools uh, open, it's gonna be that much harder to bring that down. Not impossible. Maybe, you know, uh, we'll talk probably in a short period of time about a vaccine. Uh, so there's always hope. And as I've said, we're working hard. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, uh, a lot of very smart people are working very hard to try to, uh, to come up with something to affect these numbers and to flatten this curve without these draconian measures that have been uh, mm-hmm. put into place. Uh and that's a that's a very difficult thing to predict. Oh, absolutely. So now you're gonna yeah. that you asked me to predict the unpredictable about what's going to happen with the mm-hmm. infection rates. Now you're going to ask me to predict what's going to happen with the vaccine. Sure. Well, before we get to that, Good. I do have a question, yeah. but I want to come back to the the vaccine. And without you know, I, I I'm not saying this from a political agenda. However, I've had quite a people few people point to Canada, to Sweden, to Switzerland. And, you know, they're able to go back to to school and, you know, very low rates and all of that. 
is that apples to apples? Is that apples to oranges? Is it, you know, apples to humpback whales? I mean, you know, how, how do we correlate and, and why, you know, Canada's not very far away? Yeah. How come they can go back to normal? Yeah. So there, there's, a, there's a reason that epidemiology is its own science because very few things are apples to apples. Mm-hmm. And when you start looking at numbers, at statistical uh, analysis, you, you have to really dive down into the specifics of where do these numbers come from and what behavior patterns are we looking at and what's being measured and in what population and what type of exposure and what's their lifestyle like. Uh, and so I, I've, I've read several articles regarding you know these differential numbers and uh you know it's everything from how do they collect the numbers and how many tests are they actually doing uh to how do these how do people live on a day-to-day basis uh americans you know one of the things that this country prides itself on is individuality and you know americans are very much all about our individual freedoms Mm -hmm. and uh and we don't like being told what to do, uh, and a lot of countries, they're used to being told what to do, and they're used to following orders. You know, you stand in line in the United States, and you're going to have a lot of upset people. Oh, yeah. You know, stand in line in China, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Russia, you stand in line, that's what you do. You go stand in line all day, you know. Uh, so there, there's a lot of social norms that affect these numbers, uh, that make you know that that will make some interventions much more effective in that place than it is in another place, and mm-hmm. so you can have this. I'm not saying don't have the discussion, but if you're going to have the discussion, it's not going to be a bumper sticker discussion. It's mm-hmm. not going to be mm-hmm. well. This is this, and that's that. Therefore, no, it's not that simple. I'm sorry, life is not that simple. There are a lot of different variables. There are a lot of reasons for the differential numbers, and the numbers are not as different as a lot of people think when you actually start to look at all of these these other uh, considerations, okay. right? So, uh, and again, epidemiologists are looking at that to try to figure out, is there something we can learn from Canada? Is there something, you know, we can learn from Switzerland, you know? Uh, uh, and does it, you know, does it really work, you know, in, in Denmark as well as, you know, uh, as they're saying it works? Yeah. And, you know, uh, Germans, you know, Germans are good at following orders. You know, they do what they're told. And mm-hmm. so the Germans are really good about, you know, well, don't do that. Okay, I won't do that, you know? And, and their infection rates stayed low, you know? they uh, So, you know, it's it's more than one or two things. It's a complicated uh, discussion. It's an interesting discussion, and I, and I think we could learn some things and hopefully maybe not. You know, maybe we can say, look, I mean, when we first started treating breast cancer, it was awful what we did to women when oh, we were yeah. treating breast cancer. Yes. Uh, you know, these radical mastectomies that we yeah. would do on women, we'd take muscle away and, we'd, you know, all the lymph nodes and just disfigure these, these, these poor people. Uh, and then somebody actually decided to do a study rather than I think it's best, you know, just slash and burn. That's the best. Right. Well, let's actually do a study and see if this is uh, can we get away with taking just just the tissue around there and maybe hitting her with some radiation. Mm-hmm. Is she more is she just as likely to survive? And it turns out, you know, we didn't need to be doing that to people. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we may find, you know, that all of this, these, these measures that were put into place were not, some of them weren't necessary. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd be the first, you know, to, to breathe a sigh of relief if, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we didn't have to do these things. So, uh, but, you, you know, you start uh, with as, as careful as you can be, try not to do any harm. And so that's why we don't, we don't jump to just doing these harmful things uh, to people. Uh, and uh, uh, learn from the science as you go. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, if we can learn something from these other countries, and maybe we can back off a little on these things. But, uh, you know, you got to give people the, the time to actually look at it and make sure that we're not jumping the gun, uh, because we did that too, you know. Uh, you know, with carotid endarterectomies, when we first started doing ultrasounds on carotids, we saw plaque. You know, they, oh, you got plaque in there. We got to get rid of that plaque. And they started doing all these surgeries mm-hmm. and reaming out these carotid arteries and causing strokes. And then again, somebody did a study and said, you know what? If we just leave these people alone, they're less likely to have a stroke, even with the plaque there, than oh. if we do the study. Uh, so then they didn't do them at all. Well, and then it turned out, you know, if they have 80% plaque, it's actually better to get that out of there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the leaving them. Then they're more likely to have a stroke. So we had to tweak it, right? We The pendulum swung one way. We're going to do it, all of them. Pendulum swung the other way. We're not going to do any of them. And then came reason, right? Let's look at all the data. You know, if they meet these criteria, we'll do it. If they don't, it's not worth doing it. And we'll watch them, right? But that took time. That took 15 years for that, wow. uh, for that science to emerge. So... Hopefully it won't take that long for this, but you know it's 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 a work in progress. So we get into the fall, um, we may see a spike. Um, we get closer to winter, and it sounds like the the projections are we might have a vaccine somewhere around the beginning of the year. Um, what's your thought? Where are we on that? Uh, I do understand we're investing in. Um, potential um, cures, even though we don't know where they are, we're just going to invest in case one of these um, is the silver bullet, then we'll have plenty that's already mass produced that we can just bring out. Yeah, put it, they're putting in the, um, the logistics for distribution. Yes. Yeah. The main concern with that is, are you going to interfere? Are you going to wind up utilizing, maintaining resources that aren't being used that could be used for influenza? Mm-hmm. And are you going to interfere with influenza vaccination? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to, wow. yeah. you know, not upset the apple cart there. Sure. Um, the thing about vaccine, so um, there was a there was a drug that was uh, actually there was a biological treatment that was being looked at years ago that was going to raise good cholesterol HDL. Mm-hmm. It's called tercetrapib, uh, and. You know, HDL, good cholesterol, so-called good cholesterol, right? And the higher the HDL, the lower the risk of heart disease. We'll just say that that's true, okay? Uh, and it is, for the most part. It is, you know, again, science is complicated. Uh, sure. But, you know, good cholesterol, right? More good cholesterol means lower risk of heart disease, right? Awesome. And so this drug did great. You know, in the first nine studies with this drug, it did great. Uh, and even in the early human studies, looked good. And then all of a sudden, it hit a wall. Mm. Uh, and when they did phase two studies on this, on this drug, they saw more people were having strokes taking the drug that were, take, than, than that were taking the placebo. Uh, and that, that drug died on the vine. Okay. And so it was, 
It was two studies away from FDA approval, and wow. it died on the vine. Wow. And so what Dr. Fossey said was, you know, if all the planets align, mm-hmm. if every mm-hmm. single guess that we make turns out to be the right guess, and we happen to hit the right one the first time, we throw that dart, and every single time we hit the bullseye, yeah, you know, theoretically it's conceivable by the end of the year we could have a vaccine. I don't, I don't see how it happens by the end of the year. I frankly don't see how we get a vaccine by the end of the year. I, I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's possible. Uh, love to be wrong. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things oh, yeah. I'd love to be wrong about. So we get one. Uh, that doesn't mean a hundred percent across the board um, just going to wipe it away. I mean, there's there's a uh, yeah. Any vaccine. Um, there's 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 going to be a a, a, a non-reaction. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a percentage of people who are non-reactors, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the reasons that it takes a lo- so long to get a vaccine to market because you've got to test to see do we have to boost it, right? So some vaccines that you get like hepatitis, uh, when you get the hepatitis B vaccine, mm-hmm. it's three vaccines, right? We've got to yeah. boost you because yeah. if if you just give one, only about seventy percent of people are gonna ha- are gonna respond to that. If you give two, it goes up to about 87%. If you give three, you're up to 98%, right? Uh, uh, The new shingles vaccine, it's two shots. You get the second shot two to six months after the first shot, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So some vaccines, you need a booster to to make sure. And it's not so much, well, if I give it to you, you'll get an 80% response. If I give you a second one, you'll get a 98%. No, it's it's 80% of people respond, 20% won't. They won't get immune. So you've got to boost them, right? And the only way to know is to test. Yeah. Right? And you've got to yeah. test a lot of people. Uh, does it make antibody? Okay. Yes, it makes antibody. Is that an- Does that antibody actually turn out to be protective? Mm. You can make antibody, you know? So, you know, uh, I got this weapon, that, that and, and, and it works against every soldier. Every soldier that comes into contact with this weapon, it shaves their hair off. They can still kill you. Uh, and so you can make antibody. If it just shaves the hair off of the, the coronavirus, it's not going to help. Good analogy. So, yeah. you know, uh, so wow. it's, when people say there's an antibody response, yeah, okay. Does it impart immunity, right? So th- this is a multi-step process. And at any point, we could be disappointed. We could see it, you know, that, that didn't work. Uh, or, uh, you know, we got to give a booster. And so, you know, uh, that, and, and then you have to get it out to 300 million people, yeah. you know, uh, and somebody has to give it to them, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I don't, uh, you know, I, I, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't like to be a naysayer. I like, I like to be a positive of person, course. and I, and I, I hope uh, for the best. Uh, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes we get lucky. You know, uh, and I'm hoping we get lucky on this one. Mm-hmm. What do you, what did we miss? Is there something that, um, so I think our time's probably about wrapping up here. Mm-hmm. Anything we need to get in? Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I'm not a big fan of woulda, coulda, and shoulda. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking back, uh, we 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 should have acted sooner. We could have acted sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
regarding PPE and stocking up and what else? Yeah, and, and that's quarant you know quarantining, quarantine. self uh, you know the the social social isolation stuff. But I mean, you know, this is an unprecedented thing, and so you know, uh, for the governor to say right out of the gate, shut it all down. You know, that's that's an unprecedented thing, and so yeah. you know, I'm 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 not uh, uh, saying. I would have done any different. I don't know. I don't know how I would have acted. But I mean, you know, looking back, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, if if uh, China didn't have the uh, uh, recurring uh, uh, habit of uh, suppressing information and blaming local officials, mm -hmm. uh, so that local officials suppress information because they don't want to be blamed from the central government. Uh, you know, then that would you know they would have shared information more more quickly, and we would have gotten better information out of China. Yeah. Uh, if we had, uh, we were getting information out of China. We had other sources mm -hmm. uh, of information. If we had paid attention to that information and we had acted sooner, this wouldn't have been as bad. Uh, if uh, you know people uh, stopped making everything political, yeah. uh, wearing masks shouldn't be a political decision. Yeah. It's like saying washing your hands is a political decision. It's, don't make this political. Yeah. You know this, this is a medical decision. You know, and it may be overkill. You know, so uh, you know, look, we're, we're we're trained to minimize risk in in medicine. That's what that's that's what our job. You know, to, to, to minimize the risk that, that the people we care for uh, face as much as we can. Uh, so uh, had we been better about that, uh, had the population been better about actually following the recommendations of the healthcare professionals, you know, we'd be in better shape right now. Had states not reopened, decided to ignore the numbers and reopened, they'd be in better shape right now. Uh, I'm answering the question medically. Yeah. Socioeconomically, you know, I feel it just as just as much as you do. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I I understand that, you know, there is a point where you go to war, and you understand there's going to be casualties, mm -hmm. but we've mm -hmm. made the decision that this is important enough, mm -hmm. and we may make the decision where we're going to reopen the economy. There's going to be casualties, but. You know, uh, that's what politicians are paid for to make. You know, it would be nice, actually, yeah. for a politician to do what they're paid for once in a while. So they're paid to make these tough decisions. Mm -hmm. So they're going to make those tough decisions. Mm -hmm. well, Joe, I appreciate your time so much. This has been really interesting for me. And I hope everyone who's listening or watching online, um, I, I hope you all got your questions answered. If you have any questions, you can certainly contact us. And uh, we, we do need to do better. We had so many things, and I know you did too, in the last, um, it's probably been about two months, it seems like. Um, COVID yeah, I haven't time, seen you. In, yeah, I haven't COVID seen you time. since the last time we talked. I know. COVID time just, you know, takes so much longer. I don't know. Something may have happened a week ago and it seems like six months ago but mm. it may have been six months ago and it seems like a week ago <laughs> oh, sure I'll, I'll you know these to these patients i talk about i'll say that to my nurse you know well that yeah. patient you know from monday and she'll say that that was this morning yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. really really oh, yeah. that was this morning it feels like a week ago it's crazy i know i know 
Yeah, it's good to see you. I miss uh, spending time with you. Yeah, me and, too. Yeah, me too, brother. Miss, miss spending time I, here. Geez, I, we were, we had all thought we'd be in phase two by now. I mean, you know, mm. that was the we we just decided looking at, and that's I talked uh, with Reggie McNeil for quite some time yesterday, and he said across the board, you know, churches that have gone back. They've had about 16 to 20 percent of the what they expected to come back. You know, mm. people just have not wanted to, and the amount of resources yeah. um, that that takes has just been such a drain. You know, yeah. and it's it's a hard thing. It's yeah. Really well, we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. And you we're going to get through it. But yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we've been through tough times before. Yep. You know, I, I, and we're living history. You know. Uh, yeah. We kind of forget that, I think. You know, this we, you know, we we got a little complacent. You know, the yeah. in, especially in the early two thousands. You know, yeah. uh, where you know we thought everything eh, everything's just fine. Yeah. You know, we're living history, uh, and these are crazy, fascinating, awful, wonderful times to be living in yeah. and living through. Uh, and you know, we'll have stories to tell our grandkids absolutely well and and you know honestly what a time to be a physician and what a time you know for me to be a church leader and for you know us as a church uh, i i really think um i think the churches uh, at large large c church will hopefully get closer to its initial mission than you know kind of what it's uh, over the you know this is a longer podcast but you know over the last 100 200 years uh, i think we've kind of lost our perspective and you know yeah i think that's that, that's what i meant is i think yeah. a lot of people are kind of re Absolutely. looking at their lives and looking at their you know is this the way i've been spending my days you know this is really yeah. shaking a lot of people up and yeah. a lot of people you know the ways i've been do i really want to spend my day do i want to go back to that yeah. you know and yeah. it's 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 a weird kind of an opportunity it is to look at your yeah. life uh you know, uh, you know, one of the, the the most dreadful opportunities people have is when they receive a terminal diagnosis, and I'm yeah. I, I'm there when you know I I, I have that talk with them, and uh, you know they're reminded of something that really a lot of us need to be reminded of, which yeah. is you're gonna die. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, nobody yeah. here gets out alive. That's right. Uh, and I think, you know, this has shaken a lot of people and gotten them to kind of think about these things and think about, you know, am I really living my life the way I want to live my life? Mm-hmm. Am I meeting the goals I really, that I espouse as being important to me? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, I, when, I, when I was a young physician, when I first came out, came into medicine, as I said, HIV was just exploding mm-hmm. as I came and it was a scary I don't know if people remember it was a really oh, really was, scary time Absolutely, yeah. yes. uh, to, and especially to be in medicine because yeah. we didn't know how you got it and oh, we yeah. were we were scared yeah. I, you know, I was a young guy and I was afraid mm-hmm. but we donned the stuff and we went in every day and we did what we took an oath to do mm-hmm. and the nation went through some really difficult throws in that yeah. time there were some ugly things said and done uh, uh, about the, uh, the, there was some hateful uh, uh, things uh, uh, directed at those people who were mm-hmm. uh, suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, families were torn apart. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of politics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've, we've kind of, you know, I remember those days, and that was people, you know, were wondering. People were talking about the end of days and, mm-hmm. you know, God's wrath. And, you know, I, I, I still remember all that. Uh, and here we are again, you know. Yeah. Uh, so um, kind of remind people of that, you know, that um, this, is the, this is the human condition. This is... And that's why we need to be kind to each other, and we need, we need to try to listen to each other because you know it's after this is it's going to be SARS twenty five, and you know it's gonna, there's going to be something else, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and, and in the meantime, you know, half of half of a, a city blows up mm-hmm. uh, in Beirut, yeah. horrible. Uh, so you know, this is just another reminder, and and uh, you know I've taking stock and, and you know and we're looking at the way we practice and you know can I can I alter that based on what we're learning from this let's try to get something mm-hmm. you know as you Redeemed. you are so erudite at pointing out uh, you know God takes these horrible things and he bends them into good and so there is good that can come out of this mm-hmm. you know and Absolutely. you're one of the people who, who has reminded me of that when I needed mm-hmm. to hear that mm-hmm. so Outstanding. Well, I appreciate you so much as a doctor, as a friend. And uh, love you, brother. Love you too, Joe. Thank you. Thank you.